Hey there, you're listening to Past to Present, a social studies podcast by educators for you. We'll take a look at the middle school social studies standards taught in the state of Texas. Together, let's clarify some key concepts in history and think of ways to help students relate history to their everyday life. So now we're starting on part two of our Road to Revolution unit. And the last time we really focused on the economics of Road to Revolution. And today we're going to focus primarily on the uh, political side of it. Yeah, so if you haven't listened to the part one of this two-part series on the uh, Road to American Revolution, make sure you check out part one. Because it's really hard to separate the two, but we did that um, to kind of help give a focus uh, to teachers and look at uh, how these political things affected the colonists and how they reacted to it and how England reacted to those things. For sure. So primary, whenever I do this unit, I always start out with the results of the French and Indian War mm-hmm. and the change in attitude that England had with the colonists, um, kind of with the proclamation of 1763 and this end of salutary neglect. Um is that where you normally start or do you go Yeah, I mean, I, we start with the French and Indian War and we talk about, you know, what effects that had. Mm-hmm. And we focus on what you said, the change in the relationship. Not only how did England change their relationship with the colonies, but also how did the colonists change their point of view on England. And that's going to be a gradual process, but it really starts there with the French and Indian War because the colonists now have land that they feel they've earned the right to go and colonize, and the king is going to start off by immediately saying, nope, that's not really how it's going to go. So Right, and, we're not, and you're not going to get too much into like Pontiac's Rebellion or anything like that. You're just going to talk about how the colonists couldn't go west because of conflict with the American Indians, and England was very strapped for cash, and then move into this change in relationship. Because before, the colonists were very free. They kind of self-government took over and right. while they were under the mercantilist, mercantilist system they didn't it wasn't enforced it was kind of halfway enforced yeah. it was kind of a wink and nod kind I of always thing. I've told my kids that the king left the colonies alone as long as they were doing two things making him money and not causing him any problems well that changed with the French and Indian War right now they're causing him problems with other countries and now they're costing him money and so his attitude towards them is going to change and he's no longer going to practice salutary neglect because he doesn't have the same mentality as to you know how the colony colonial relationship is so that's pretty much what you need to hit with the French and Indian War and then starting with the road to revolution we're going to immediately start off with with what well with the proclamation of 1763 and the barrier being the Appalachian Mountains and keeping the colonists east of those mountains um, and, and impeding their movement westward. Not a huge, huge thing at the time for most colonists, but it, it's just that first initial change that we see um, going forward from there. Well, I think it's good to talk with about the kids and have the kids relate to this. And we may have discussed this earlier, but kind of the idea of when are you most upset when rules are changed on you or when rules are when you're not allowed to do something before that so the thing we talk about is were kids more upset when they didn't have a cell phone or when their parents take their cell phone away from them right and every time i ever asked this question in class the kids always said when the cell phone was taken away so when that freedom's taken away that's when you really are upset when you don't know any different 
it's bothersome, right? But it, it it's not as uh, tumultuous, if you will. Right. And I might be wrong on this, but correct me if I am wrong. Okay. But the king tries to kind of like sell the proclamation line as like, oh, we're protecting the Native Americans in their territory. I mean, I feel like he kind of that's one of the reasons he gives for the proclamation line. And I feel like the colonists are kind of like, Meh, we don't really believe that. I think that that is part of it. And I believe he did state that in, in the proclamation. But it's primarily seen by colonists as a control thing. Yeah, like to keep tabs on them and so that they can tax them a little bit easier. It's, it's about taxation and keeping them closer to uh, the centers of taxation. And another effect of it is that they're going to see more and more British soldiers there to enforce that proclamation mm-hmm. line. Um, and so that's going to cause even more unrest, I think. Well, and what's funny is we, we talk about this being such a small thing, and we've spent like three minutes Already, <laughs> on for this. Sure. So I, I'm a nerd for this stuff. I, I love this is one of my favorite units. I think it's one that kids really like because mm-hmm. anytime you can talk about fairness or unfairness, uh, I don't know if that even last one's a word, um, they get fired up. Yeah. And well, and it's relevant to them because mm-hmm. revolution is a is a constant factor in society. I mean, we're going to talk about this, I'm sure, but even Thomas Jefferson, the great, amazing Thomas Jefferson said, he's great, right? A little rebellion now and then is necessary. It keeps the government in check. And so I think that this is something that they've seen in their, I mean, obviously not to this point of a revolution, but it's something that they have seen in our country today. And this constant idea of challenging ideas, and challenging the government and to keep it in check. And that's what I love so much about this unit is that it really is the American identity. Mm-hmm. The American identity starts with, and we'll get there, but this idea of the Boston Tea Party where we are creating this culture of when we see something wrong, we do something about it. We challenge it. And maybe it's not always violent, but we're not going to let the government get away with impeding and infringing on our rights. And so I love this unit because I feel like it really gets to the core of what it means to be an American citizen. Absolutely. And I also think that this is kind of the, if you look at America um, in its formation, kind of similar to the growth of human development, this is when the colonies are kind of in their teenage stage. Mm-hmm. They're kind of teenagers. They're they're pushing back. They're mm-hmm expanding boundaries they're saying things are not fair and they're complaining and maybe acting out in ways that maybe not always what we would consider appropriate depending on who's in charge right and so um the kids i think maybe not explicitly pick up on that but i Mm -hmm. think they kind of see that they do uh, they love the idea of revolting and you can see that even like in um the broadway musical um hamilton I have not seen it yet. I know, but you need to listen to the soundtrack. <laughs> I haven't seen it either. It breaks my heart. But um, there's a song in there where King George, after the American Revolution, says to the colonists, what are you going to do now? It's easy to rebel. Now it's harder to govern. And even George Washington in that musical makes that quote of, you know, dying is easy, governing is harder. And so um, it's this idea of, we go from a fledgling of 13 colonies to now what are we going to do to be successful about that and how do all these beliefs work out in the real world all right well let's move on to the next one the when we think of the causes of the american revolution we always talk about taxation we don't necessarily focus on the proclamation but taxation is something that i think it's it's what we've grown up with mm-hmm. and the sugar act is really that first initial um step into the colonies being taxed by parliament mm-hmm. um 
something, you know, some small things to know is that the Sugar Act really lowered the tax on molasses and other things, um, but they actually enforced it. So it's that change in, hey, we're, we're lowering your taxes, but now we're actually making you pay them, which right. is not really lowering taxes. It's kind of that manipulation, mm-hmm. if you will. Um, but the whole idea of this, this, this tax is not direct on the people. It is um, done to merchants, and then the merchants pass that on. So it's not something that they see um, directly. It's not something they pay their money directly for that tax. Um, but you start to see this no taxation with that representation thing come about. And everything that I've seen is, that's Magna Carta. Right. Um, and really... We've heard in the past where people say that the American Revolution was a bunch of bunch of people who didn't want to pay taxes, and there may be some truth to that, but I think it's more of the, the principle. The principle. These people saw yeah. themselves as Englishmen, yeah, and Englishmen are protected by Magna Carta, and so um, they use things like the Virginia Charter, which charters were grants from the king for land and starting these colonies, and it explicitly says that you don't have to live in England to be an Englishman. Mm-hmm. And in, because of that, you are protected by Magna Carta. So they actually have some legal standing on this principle, this in idea. In that argument. Right. And yeah. I think that gives the kids good context of it's not just a bunch of spoiled brats not wanting to pay taxes. They have a legal argument. Right. Um, You're going to think that I'm a terrible person, but I usually haven't in the past taught the Sugar Act. That's not uncommon. Um, usually we've blown past it. Yeah. And when I was in the classroom, and depending on what year it was, too, yeah. like Sugar Act was, hey, this is the first tax. But I think as I was moving along, I started to go back to that Magna yeah. Carta thing. Well, I never thought about it that way. Yeah. And I think if some if you're comfortable, I think that happens with teachers where they're comfortable with the content. Yeah, for um, sure. That's how it was for me anyway. Yeah. I, I mean, would, well, it takes years for you to really feel like you understand all this at the depth that you need to – really be able to teach it to kids well there's so much context yeah and we sometimes teach these things as individual things and i think when you become a, a really strong teacher is when you can tie those things together throughout the year um and get the kids to recognize well, that more than anything and like before this podcast i didn't really think much about the magna carta like you've already taught me so much about it i've already introduced it to my kids this year they already know what it is and we're using it to relate to it so this year i might use the sugar act but before i just didn't have any context so mm-hmm. and these things are hard to teach i mean they're very difficult concepts for kids to understand so i think the more that you layer them the way that you're describing the better off that the kids are going to be and i think it's it's the abstract that they struggle with yeah. so maybe in a do now or a warm-up i introduced this quote you know uh, shall have in, shall have and enjoy liberties franchises immunities within in, any of our domains uh, dominions i'm sorry as if they are abiding and born within this, our realm of England. Mm -hmm. So we would obviously have to do a little bit of work with that quote, but having kids look at that and recognize what it's saying um, and see if you can get them to come to that on their own from previous material already taught about. And uh, that quote's from the Virginia Charter? That's from the Virginia Charter. Who wrote that? Do you know? Uh, it, It was issued by the king, so it wouldn't have been necessarily the king, but... Oh, I'm thinking of the Virginia Declaration of Rights. Correct. That would have been Jefferson. Mm, is it Jefferson? I, I so. Was it George Mason? We need to look that up. We do need to look that up. I think it's George Mason. But your love affair with Jefferson is I know, deep, I'm so pretty, it's got to be Jefferson. I'm pretty right? sure it's George Mason. And I thought that was really interesting because I always just tied him in as the guy who refused to sign the Constitution. 
But when you think that he's the one that – I'm getting off, t- off track, I'm sorry, <laughs> yet again. But when you think that he's the one that signs this Virginia Declaration of Rights, right. and then you see later on how he, like, holds fast to the idea that I'm not signing this Constitution without a Bill of Rights, it kind of makes sense. It does. But we'll, co- in, we'll cover that later. We'll cover that later on. <laughs> I'll cut this part out. Don't worry. Don't cover it out. Don't cut it out. <laughs> this is a break-in, but uh, Lindsay was correct. It was George Mason that wrote the Virginia Declaration of Rights. So I was incorrect, and she was right, and she is eating this up as as we speak. Um, another one that I I found recently that I thought was pretty cool was in 1775. Uh, Paul Revere uh, was printing. Uh, the colonies were starting to issue their own money. Right. And the Massachusetts shilling note um, he had created, and it's a fascinating-looking, simple primary source for kids to look at, and it's got a colonist, and in one hand they have a sword, and in the other hand they have the Magna Carta. And having kids analyze that might give you an entryway to teaching a lesson on maybe why did they fight or why did they want to rebel or something along Mm -hmm. those lines. Um, And is that a piece of propaganda or is that – actually representative of what the yeah. colonists were fighting for. But yeah, that's a really good one. I haven't seen it. I'm going to have to look that up. So the Stamp Act is our next uh, event, and this is really a good unit to teach cause and effect. This is a really good unit mm-hmm. to teach sequencing, uh, use of annotated timelines, whatever you can do to get the kids to connect these events. Point Uh, of view. Point of view is fantastic. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. Right, and uh, with prediction notes and things like that. The Stamp Act is something that the kids really, they they get pretty easily as far as what the the nuts and bolts of it were. The idea that anything basically with paper on it was going to have a stamp on it and whatnot. what they don't always understand is that, first of all, no stamps were ever sold. Not a single stamp was ever issued. What? And not a single one. You're lying. No, I'm what? I may be wrong about things, but I never <laughs> lie about them. They were they because of the colonial reactions, um, which sometimes were extremely violent. Yeah. Um, this is where you have people showing up at Benjamin Franklin's house with guns yeah, and his wife stepping out, before. right? Or mm-hmm. him being. Uh, put before parliament and just, just lambasted humiliated. and humiliated. Yeah. So that's the big thing on the Stamp Act. Not a single one was passed, and that's the, col- the England backing down for the mm-hmm. first time. Um, they're not – they recognize that they might have overstepped their bounds. I think it's super important that you teach the repeal of the Stamp Act mm-hmm. on this one because if you skip over that, then you're missing the point of the fact that Britain is in some ways trying to accommodate – what the colonists are doing and the other fact of it is is that the colonists what their complaints are working i mean that's the beauty of this is that their resistance is is actually working against the great powerful great britain and so i think it's super important that you don't buff or brush over that um the other thing is when i teach the stamp act we do this little um warm up i guess Mm -hmm. what do you call it do now we call them do now so campus i work at so we do a preview or a warm-up. And on the board when the kids come in, you may have done this before. This is not accurate. This is fictional, just so you know. You put up that paper has gotten really expensive at mm-hmm. the school. And Dr. Paws or whoever your principal is has said, you, we got to start paying for paper. Like this, this is for the kids' education. We need them to contribute. So now they have to buy a sticker. And I have special stickers, and they have to put a sticker on every piece of homework. 
So I don't have to buy notes page, it's just homework page. And each sticker is a dollar. And so I'm, I like play that this is serious the entire time. And I start saying, okay, I have stickers now. Who's ready to buy them? Mm-hmm. And the kids get so riled up. And it's what's really funny is some of them bust out their money. They're, they're like bust out their dollar bills and they're ready to pay. And they're like, whatever, I'll just pay the tax. And I point out the fact that these kids are loyalists, right? Mm-hmm. And then the kids that are like, miss, I will fail your class before I pay you a dollar for a sticker that you're going to put on homework that I didn't even want to do. They're the patriots, right? And it incites, it incites anger in them and it makes them see how annoying and how frustrated the colonists probably were at this time. And um, I mean, it gets really intense. You, you got to cut it off pretty quick because I've had parents call. Right. And I've gotten emails because kids now can instantly text message their mom and let them know what I'm doing. And um, but it's a really great simulation activity. Well, you, first of all, clear it with, clear it with your uh, administration. Yes. Let them know what you're doing. And if, if you have a cool administration, administration, they're more than happy to do mm-hmm. this. Um, but the other part is. And, and as I've stated, if they walk out mad, that's a good day. It is. And they will, even when you tell them that this is fake, they'll still, they'll be, still mad. be mad. They'll still be mad because they can't always de-escalate things. Yeah. Um, but it's always a great one. And we've done it on, uh, you know, you have to pay for every piece of paper that you use from mm-hmm. us or you use a sh- pencil sharpener. It, it, whatever you do, um, it's a great uh, experiential exercise for those kids. Yep. Because... And, and then you debrief it. You don't just end it there. You right. debrief what what caused you to be upset. Did you feel like you had any say in anything in that? Uh, but it's any- also important to point out that, I mean, ultimately, it's a pretty fair tax if you think about it. Like, it is their education. Right. But they get free education in this country, obviously. But that's the that's the argument that I like to have with my kids is, hey, at the end of the day, this is for you. This is for your benefit. And that's the argument the king is putting forward. The, the war was for you. It was for your benefit. You're the ones who got all the great things from that. So you should have to pay for it. And it's a good connection for the kids. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a really good one. Um, there's another one I've done in the past, and it's not necessarily with the stamp act, but it's called the King's M and M's. Yeah, we do that one. The too. Skittles one, mm-hmm. and um, you know, if you're in KDISD, that lesson's out there, and I'm sure yeah. it's out there uh, on the web or whatever. You can always tweet us. We have a bunch of different versions of it. It's just a fun. It's fun, and you get to dress up as the king. Well, you, so you I, didn't dress up, I, I'm sure. Well, but I was not the king. What I always tried to do was find that one kid in class, no, no. that one kid in class who was kind of a a knucklehead. Mm-hmm. And make them king You're and give so them mean. power. And it, they play it perfect. If you get the right kid, they can play it perfect. And it is so much fun to watch that kid just See, incite I'm, anger. anger. Yeah, I'm more, I'm more mean, than, I'm a little selfish than you. I like to be the powerful king for one day. It's fun. Yeah, but sometimes it's nice not to have that burden in class. You let the kids have that burden. Yeah. So one that's kind of over, uh, something we kind of miss sometimes is the quartering act. Mm-hmm. Um, what, how do you approach the quartering act? How do you, what context do you give the kids on this one? So I think it's really important that the kids understand the why behind the quartering act. And one of the big reasons that it starts is because of all these new taxes and the proclamation line and all these new expectations that the king is setting. And he needs soldiers there to enforce it. And then on top of that, you've got groups like the Sons of Liberty who are starting to form and rebellions are starting to take place, like what you mentioned at Benjamin Franklin's house. And the colonists are just a little bit uneasy in general. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the king is a little bit, you know, concerned about that. So he starts sending more soldiers over there. He's not going to send them on his dime. 
he's going to expect the colonists to help pay for that. Right. Well, and this is um, this is good for privacy and intrusion, mm-hmm. and so you can you can approach it from that standpoint with kids because it's something that all teenagers want. They want privacy. They they want to keep people out of their business, like sharing a bedroom. A yeah. lot of them do that. True, and 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 depending on the demographic of kids you work with, you can approach it from that. Mm-hmm. Um, you can approach it from like cell phone usage mm-hmm. or. Um, parent intrusion that way again a lot of these things relate to their everyday life unwelcome guests like everybody knows what it's like to have an unwelcome guest or someone who's just stayed a little bit too long well what is it what is it uh, franklin says um fish and uh house guests are similar Mm -hmm. after three days they they both stink they both stink or something along those lines do you have anything in particular you do with this unit no i just teach it teach it i just say this is what caused the quartering act and they just write it down is that bad? <laughs> no. Well, sometimes it's what we do, right? Yeah. I don't but, have like an engage, but I love one. I mean. Do you have? Do you think it's something that you can tie directly to the Third Amendment as a at the end of the the lesson on the Declar uh, the Quartering Act, or? I mean, I think. Do you wait later we, on? I do that later on. Okay. So once I've taught all of this, or once I don't always I don't do direct teach for this, but once my kids understand it. Um, that's when I come back and start having them apply it. And they can easily apply the Quartering Act to the Third Amendment. And the hard part about it is the Third Amendment to us seems silly, almost, to to the point of ridiculous, right? But that's because we have it. Mm -hmm. If we didn't have it, then we'd be like, hey, we need that. Because we would have to quarter soldiers. It's not even a question today. Right. So now the Townsend Acts or Townsend Acts or Townsend. Is that how you say Townsend? I say Townsend, but that's wrong. Apparently, according to Google, it's Townsend. I think it's Townsend. I, I think you're right because Google said you're right. Y'all, y'all heard that she said I was right. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't happen very often. So with the Townsend Acts, we have the tax on certain goods: um, lead, glass, paper, tea. Everyday goods. Everyday goods, and yeah. these are going to be taxed at the port, right? Right. So in the previous taxes, the king has tried to focus his tax on one item and just made it a larger tax. Now he's going to lower the tax and he's going to tax multiple items. And the tax is going to be collected at the harbor by from the merchants before the goods even reach the colonial stores. And so we, the thing that I think we've kind of missed out on is, is these taxes on these goods. Who's going to be affected most by this? Mm-hmm. And... With us teaching that the New England colonies do most of the trading and the middle colonies do most of the trading because of the urban centers and things like that, they're going to be affected by this more often. And that's where you get your your smugglers having problems. Uh, John Hancock, I believe, is a major smuggler Mm -hmm. at the time. Mm -hmm. And so that is why we see most of, geographically speaking, the, the start of the American Revolution is in... New England. Right. And um, they do have most of the urban areas because the Puritans before going back to colonial England, right? They lived in very tight knit communities. Mm -hmm. So they're close together also because of their geography in the South. They're spread out. Honestly, the South kind of provide self provided a lot of stuff. They did make a lot of their own goods, obviously not glass and things of that nature, but um, the North is going to be more of the urban centers. And so that's why you're going to see a lot of these issues there. And so I wonder, so we know that the, the wealthy men in the South were affected by these trade policies, mm-hmm. but I wonder um, if we see 
because the North was so much more densely populated, if that's why more people were affected directly by these taxes as opposed to South. I don't know. That's, that's just a well, question. Well, and also, I feel like the North was more educated. Not to be rude, but probably like, on a whole. In, in the South, they're so far apart, right? And so to get to a colonial school in the South, you have to walk miles. So they went to school maybe once a week. If that. Well, and you're probably gonna, in the South, you're going to see more of the, the Tudor system where right. wealthy families wealthy are families hiring. can afford it. In the North, the Puritans really started this idea of public education and the First Great Awakening is going to, mm-hmm. you know, improve that so that people can read the Bible. So you have a lot more, um, a lot of people who are more educated and have more leisure time than plantation owners. Um, so that is going to really spur these people to realize number one know and have certain sets of beliefs right and then from there realize what they can do about it and how it affects them how did we end up here from i don't know i don't know (laughs) but what's important for the kids to understand about the town snack this is why i teach it because at this point it's no longer a direct tax now what charles townsend from england is going to try and do is he's going to convince the king to do an indirect tax and He's going to hope that by the the tax being smaller and it being paid at the ports instead of at the stores, Mm -hmm. um, that the colonists are not going to feel the pinch of the tax or realize that they're being taxed as much as they are. But it doesn't work out, and it backfires. And instead, the colonists just feel like, number one, we know we're getting taxed, and number two, now you're trying to manipulate us. Right. And so it really upsets them, and it causes even more frustration. And I teach with this one the term boycott. Right. So this is the first time that the colonists, especially in the New England territories, group together and decide we are going to boycott. Now, there's a lot of politics out there, and there's a great Freakonomics um, podcast about the effects of a boycott and right. whether boycotts are good or, or even effective. They talk in particular about the Chick-fil-A boycott several years ago. Oh, yeah. Um but that so that's a good interesting conversation to have with the kids. But what we found is at this time it was financially very effective um, if the colonists were you know working together on that. So do you think that you could you can use that as an example of civil disobedience? For sure. All right. I think that's a great idea to do that. Well, we'll talk more about that with the uh, the Boston massacre. I, I, but I don't know. I, I, let me rephrase. Now that you mention that, I don't know if it's really disobedience because they don't have to buy it. Mm-hmm. To me, disobedience is deliberately breaking the law. And it's not a law that you have to buy it. It's a law that you have to pay the tax when you buy it. Right. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. And so that uh, that was kind of, I was wondering if it ties in because. But I don't know if it really does because yeah, I, I feel like a boycott either. is more of like economic warfare. Right. Right. They're just trying to hurt the king's pocketbooks by not buying anything from them, um, which is great for smugglers like John Hancock because all of a sudden his goods are going to be very valuable, right? Exactly. And I, th- I think that's – exactly. I think there's there's a lot of talk of, uh, you know, what do people do when the law becomes too stringent or things mm-hmm. like that. But, mm-hmm. So maybe that's um, something you look at is how do the colonists react to this? How would you react to this if you had no say? Kind of get back to that taxation without representation. Uh, but I do like the fact that in this instance, the colonists are taking a nonviolent warfare approach. Like if you think about it, it really is economic mm-hmm. warfare. And so they're trying to do things other than break out in violence to prove a point. And I think that that's something that happens all the time in our society today. 
It seems like everybody's boycotting something right Political now. Political warfare, economic warfare, that it's all about hurting the other without actually causing physical harm. Right. But what's interesting is economic warfare can be just as life-threatening and just as dangerous as real f- physical warfare. I mean, maybe not as severe, but you know what I mean? Like the the feeling of economic warfare can cause just as much trouble as actual physical war. I think. Well, we've seen it lead to actual physical wars. You yeah. know, if you look at World War II and things like that. Um, and I think also... The Townsend Acts eventually are repealed, except for the Tea Act, which we'll get to eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, Makes Charles Townsend very unpopular. Right, he was prime minister. Yeah, right? I think I so, but he was an epic failure. Epic failure. For sure. Is that what the kids would say? Yeah. Hey there. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Join in the discussion on Twitter using the hashtag #PastToPresentPod. Do you have suggestions on how we can improve our podcast or topics you'd like to hear discussed? We would love to hear them. Give us a shout out on Twitter. Did you enjoy the show? Give us a rating and review on iTunes or Podbean. It only takes a minute and it will help other educators find our show. Special thanks to all those who helped develop the content for today's episode. Audio mixing for this episode done by Lindsay Stevens and music credit to bensound.com. All thoughts and ideas expressed in today's episode are that of the hosts and do not necessarily reflect the beliefs of KDISD.